All right, friends, where should we pick back up? How about exactly where we left off? Let's talk about the likely outcome of having that very anxious, obsessive, regularly self-defeating set of flawed instructions in your head that can be triggered by the color purple. Now what's going to happen? Well, you're probably going to start trying to reduce the potential for physical and mental discomfort. If your brain and body always feel like dumpster fires normally, like from the moment that you open your eyes in the morning, then the last thing you're going to want to do throughout your day is to add more fuel to the trash flames. Instead, you're going to start wisely noticing, even on an unconscious level, what other stimulation manages to make the whole brain-body situation worse. When your daily baseline is, please leave me here to die, it feels like I've been underground for 10 years already. So what causes a survival system response? What fills you with shame? What throws your anxiety off the charts? What feels like it takes a draining amount of energy? Your brain will start to automatically notice. And then you're going to start automatically doing the most logical thing possible, avoiding the fuck out of these stimulatory events. If you don't want to feel more broken than before, don't put yourself in situations that make your head more likely to malfunction, right? Yeah, it's a great strategy, especially when you're already so overstimulated, doomsday-y, and, sorry, self-obsessed in an inner critic way. So you figure, cut the fat, and let's just focus on white-knuckling my way through these areas of life that I really can't live without. These are painful enough, and I cannot handle anything else. Now, I've been there. I've literally uttered the words, I can't take another grain of criticism. I already have too much inside my own head. And I can't handle another inconvenience. I just need something, anything to please work out. I don't have any adaptive stress capacity left. The problem being, when you have CPTSD, pervasive relational trauma that started early in life, it's not so fucking easy to cut out the triggers. <laughs> like, a whole lot of life is going to be triggering and upsetting to you because your trauma took place in normal, everyday, unavoidable situations, and you might not even be aware of the extent of it, because the upset feels pretty normal after a lifetime with it. So again, this is one of the major differences between PTSD and CPTSD. PTSD might be localized to one event, one environment, one set of circumstances that reminds your head of the negative happening, but complex trauma is pretty well generalized to, well, humans and all the things that humans have to do. And because of that, we start cutting people, places, things, and activities out of our lives to try to save ourselves. Until, frankly, there's not much left, and we become hollow shells of human beings. Sorry to be blunt about it, but this is the untreated trauma outcome that I get the most bummed about the most often. And sometimes, I think that we need to be shaken off this path towards cat personhood. No offense to cats, but humans should not smell like they're pissed 24-7 or make ornaments out of their fur. 
controversial take from working at PetSmart for like four years growing up. But the point is, when you avoid human interaction and human-demanded activities at all costs, because they are triggering, you start avoiding basic life functions. There's a tendency for avoidance to snowball with each potentially stressful activity building on the last. So let's say, for instance, that going to the store is scary because people will be there and they probably judge you as much as you judge you, you assume. Soon, getting in your car becomes scary because, number one, it leads to the store, and number two, if it breaks down on the way to the store, then you really have to interact with someone to get it towed and fixed, assuming that no one steals you off the side of the road. The next thing you know, with that thought jangling around, number three, suddenly leaving the front door is scary because you saw someone on your way to examine your car for mechanical failures and that really deepened your disdain for the whole situation, which ultimately leads back to people being terrifying. Leading up to this current moment, when number four, now you can't even leave the house, let alone getting groceries or driving. Hell, walking past windows is too exposing. All the packages you order online so you don't leave the house still intimidate you, because the mail carrier knocked on your door one time. And you look around, full of anxiety and dread, every day, wondering how the fuck it ever got to be this way, when you once were a functional, driving, living adult who was not completely terrified of every human's assumed harmful potential. Well, this is how. Avoidant baby steps that build and build encasing your life in uncompromising self-determined boundaries about what you can and can't do, with most things eventually falling into the can't camp. Flash forward a few decades without any treatment, and you are a hoarder with really strange superstitions, failing health, and probably a few misaligned obsessions. In other words... You end up on a TLC show in some way or another. This is the common outcome of untreated CPTSD taken to an extreme. Trash network TV created for buttholes like me to feel better about how weird we are in comparison. So I think that's probably bringing up memories of a few animal hoarders or pee drinkers in your life. Problematic, right? possibly the living nightmare that you need to start taking therapy seriously. Or, maybe on a less obvious front, just to think about family members who refuse to even, like, experience anything new, or to talk about anything new, to think about anything new. Think about the people who bro won't break their routines for anything. The folks who won't venture out of their tiny town, who shut down if interacting with strangers is necessary, and who probably lash out at you if you suggest any of these novel changes, as if you're actually trying to throw them into a pit of lions. Yeah, it's pretty easy to see from the outside when someone hits this trauma-encapsulated point. It's not so easy from the inside. But let's think about it. 
what is happening internally when we're sequestering ourselves to these increasingly tiny islands of, quote, safety. Well, on the path towards total life experience abandonment, we're going to get super rigid in a way that basically guarantees social isolation all the way down to your unbendable neurons. So when our heads are only using like the same 10 sets of neural connections each day, because we're only engaging in the same 10 sets of predetermined, not risky behaviors and interests, what happens? Well, we start pruning our brain cell connections that we've deemed unimportant at this point. We're not using them, and therefore they become decreasingly interconnected to our daily operations brain programming. Or their strength firmly declines as we downregulate the number of communication receptors on those synapses. And in this way, we keep containing our brain energy to fewer and fewer mental circuits, right? As a result, those chosen neural networks are being strengthened and expanded upon and overgeneralized because, well, they're all that we've got. Your brain energy has to go somewhere. You need some information to filter all other information through. And at this point, these handful of neural patterns are the only available options. So each day they're automatically engaged like default programs. This means they eventually come to contain a lot of redundant looping data points because, uh... There's only so much we're able to collect from our limited environmental interactions these days. And in this way, we get a very limited set of very rigid brain programs. We don't really have infrastructure for, say, a discussion about a new cultural trend. We only have brain cells available to us that can interact with information similar to what we're already used to seeing, doing, thinking, and feeling every day. We really can't engage with other humans to discuss whatever they want to talk about. Only what we want to talk about. And those opinions probably get pretty extreme in the absence of receiving alternate information from other parties, huh? Well, the same goes for what we can do. We only have so many behavioral instructions left now, so we only accomplish so many things. We only learn so many things. We only exist in the neural world we've built, ignoring so many things. And we wind up with this brain rigidity, which is clearly the opposite of neural plasticity. We stop growing our cognitive networks. We stop questioning our thoughts. We stop taking new perspectives. We stop being able to grow as individuals. And we continue to niche ourselves down into a tiny, compressed, flattened version of our former self. One that probably has uncontrollable mental ailments, considering how strongly activated that brain has become in the same old, same old pathways of doom that led to this point in the first place. So there you go. I bet you can, again, think of quite a few people in your life that fit this description. But I bet that you don't see them very often. Number one, because they, 
sorry, are not pleasant to be around when all they do is yell about Fox News, their sneaky neighbors, or their plethora of broken pets. More common trauma outcomes. And number two, because they aren't available to socialize with at all. When we are this rigid and shut down from the world, we tend to also get super isolated because we're incapable of being in novel situations. We form a trauma bubble, as they call it, and refuse to ever leave. This can include, again, being agoraphobic or just extremely limited in where we are willing to go and who we are willing to speak with. We might have one trusted friend who we unload our life on, whether they can engage with our rapid thoughts or not. We might have one bar, one restaurant, or one grocery store that we've deemed safe enough to attend. We might have one square block that feels close enough to home and we'll walk our dog around it. But if you ask us to leave this specific set of previously determined safe options, read the most familiar options so we don't interact with stimulation that challenges us in new ways, we're going to crumble to pieces. The fear narratives start. They drive up survival responses. We probably get very fighty with a touch of freezing, and there's always the potential to flee the fuck back out of there. In other words, we'll become defensive buttholes who would rather start a fight to ruin the uncomfortable-sounding plans than to go through with the uncomfortable-sounding plans. And hey, once again, I bet you can think of a person or five that fit this bill. Looking at you, your whole family, and probably a lot of friends that you've had in the past. Talking to past me here. Now, you don't want to be this person. You don't want to flake on people. You don't want to seem disinterested in them. You don't want to live in a tiny, falsely secure box. You don't want to have tumultuous relationships where you pick fights just because you got nervous about an unvisited place on this planet. Also, spoilers, we all have places that we haven't been to, and that makes every person at least a little nervous to go there. No one knows what the fuck they're doing, and they're all too self-centered to care about you looking lost anyways. So calm the fuck down and go see some shit. When all else fails, just remember my favorite thought tool. Quote, stupid people have to figure this out, so I can too. Anyways. You know you don't want to be a limited cardboard person, but your brain will always tell you that this avoidant pattern is what's easiest. Hell, it might even tell you that this is the only option. The problem is, again, your head doesn't have a realistic grip on your available options when it's only been able to practice a handful of them for like the past five or 50 years. The avoidant trauma bubble is a self-perpetuating, vicious cycle of narrowing down possible options for yourself as you whittle down and strengthen the default status of the associated brain pathways that are needed to enact those limited options. All because there are some unprocessed or poorly examined areas in your head that feel like hot wires when they're accidentally activated. You know what I'm saying? Well, if not, I'm saying that it is a trap. Anxiety is a life-destructive force if you let it be. 
and it will only build on itself, becoming a mode of continual operation if you don't divert your energy to a different program and practice using those brain cells instead. That's the solution to this problem, as I always try to end with. It's engaging alternate neurons and solidifying the results of your new experiences. That's what's going to help you here. Immersion therapy in which you rewire your thoughts from, this means certain doom to, I have no way to predict my own demise, and this situation isn't actually that likely to kill me, to, hey, you know, that went fine, actually. I'm not sure what I was panicking about for three days before going to the DMV, but I'm still alive. You want a growth-directed mindset. You want to experience new things to expand your available neural connections and depotentiate some of those shitty default programs that have been stealing all of the attention. You want to question your anxieties and fears with critical thinking questions. You want to notice when your thoughts jump down definitive and dooming pathways. Take five steps backwards and ask, but really though, is this valid? Why? What's actually the worst that can happen? And does that matter on a lifelong scale? And as we covered already in the anxiety episode, you might also inquire, what is my actual level of control in this situation either way? As in, if you really think that certain demise lies outside your doorstep, I mean, what are you going to do to prevent it? You realize that a meteor could crush you inside your home at any moment anyways. Not to freak you out. Just saying. The illusion of control and safety might be keeping you feeling secure. But at a certain point, you don't have any way to realistically guarantee anything in life, including the prevention of your own death. Nihilistic spoilers you are going to die, so you might as well go out and live first. Feed your brain and expand its connections as long as you're here on this planet. That's the purpose if anyone can find one. So, I don't know. What works for me is strangely to embrace the inevitability of death and then to get the fuck out of your trauma bubble in protest of it. Go outside, engage with other humans. You might as well. Like, don't let avoidance dictate what happens for the rest of your life just because some buttholes had a negative impact on the first part of it. Don't isolate, don't get rigid, don't stop growing, don't give up. As a former agoraphobe, driveophobe, humanophobe who was well on her way to a TLC special, probably both being 600 pounds and living in a palace made of empty peanut butter jars that I share with some pet squirrels who may or may not be routinely crushed beneath the two aforementioned physical forces, I feel pretty qualified to tell you it kind of is that easy even though it feels like the hardest thing you'll ever do just to walk outside or pick up a phone sometimes. Just try to be open to living before you get busy dying. And your brain will change its operations as you change your behaviors. You got this. And if you need more evidence that other people also get it, you know where to find us. 
hit up t-mfrs.com or traumatizedmotherfuckers.com. They will direct to the same place. And get your ass to patreon.com slash traumatizedmotherfuckers to join the TMFRS community and talk about issues like this whenever you need to. Not to mention to get the several episodes that have already been released, more deeply defining these struggles and alternate thought patterns that you might want to adopt. Although, yes, they are also going to be a mix of nihilist, nihilistic optimism and uh, occasional reflections on how I'm not so different from Tammy and Amy. So if that approach speaks to you, whenever you stop avoiding it, I'll see you there, motherfucker. In the meantime, cheers. And don't worry so much about what your brain thinks is waiting outside your door. Bye.